We are in Psalm 119 again this morning. Psalm 119, we are in stanza number 11. Stanza number 11, what you might know, is the halfway mark of our study through this chapter. Uh, I'm so excited to uh, continue this study through Psalm 119, and I think I was telling someone, I can't remember who, uh, but it'll actually work out to where we will, we will uh, do stanza 21 on the last Sunday of the year, which I think is December 29th, if I have my dates right. Um, anyways, the last Sunday in December, we will do stanza 21 in this hour, and then in the main service hour, we will do stanza 22. So we will close out our study of Psalm 119 right at the close of the year. It'll be kind of, uh, it'll be actually very fitting, uh, a very good close to the study, and then we can jump into some more uh, Sunday school rotations uh, at the beginning of the year. So I'm really excited for that. I just happened to work out that way. Uh, but we are in stanza number 11 this morning. Uh, it begins in verse 81 and goes down through verse 88. This stanza, um, well to be honest with you, is a difficult stanza to read a lot of times just because uh, not just of what it says but just a lot of what has come before it. You know that David has been enduring, and he, you can see it in his heart and what he writes. He's been enduring such difficult seasons, uh, stress, distress, dismay. Uh, he has been uh, enduring a painful uh, life up to this point. And, uh, but he's never one to soften or, to, or sort of cushion uh, the things that he's feeling. We've noted that throughout, through the first 80 verses or so of this study, we've noted how David is never one to sort of uh, cushion or, or try to make it appear as if he's not as bad as he really is, that his life isn't as hard as it really is. He just expresses uh, the honesty of his situation and his uh, feelings towards that situation to his God. Um, and such is the case in this stanza. Listen to his words. Verse 88, he says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet I do not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have digged pits for me which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. I love this stanza. Yeah, you might, uh, uh, you, you'll notice when we talk about this stanza in that it'll be a little bit different in that there's not, uh, I, have, I wasn't able to sort of read it and come away with a sort of one, two, three outline, which I normally love to do. Uh, we're just going to kind of walk through it and just notice uh, a lot of very, a couple significant things I want to point out to you. But just notice the way he describes his grief here. Notice the, 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 the pictures that he uses to describe the way his soul feels as he is enduring this painful moment in his life. Remember also, too, at the beginning of this study, we noted how it's, I, don't, I, I do not believe, uh, I could be wrong, but I don't believe that David just sat down and wrote this, this psalm in one sitting. 
I don't, I don't think it was just he sat down one night and was just he had the writing energy <laughs> that you sometimes get if you love to write and it's just all of a sudden the words just flow. I think this is a, a psalm that was sort of a compendium of things that he had learned throughout his life. And so each uh, little verse might represent another moment in his life, another moment in which he's doubting, frustrated with his feelings, frustrated with his situation, and trying to remember the faithfulness of God throughout those moments, trying to continue, as he says, hoping in this word. I think that's, um, uh, to me, that's what brings me comfort, is to realize that he is writing these throughout his life. But notice how he describes his grief. Uh, In verse 81, he says, My soul fainteth. My soul fainteth. Really, that word, it means it's at an end. His soul is being used up. It's being wasted away, exhausted. He's really just saying, I am spent. And notice he says, I'm spent on your word. I'm spent on the fact that I don't see any hope. Yet I continue to hope. He's expressing just intense agony here as he's expressing frustration. God, I'm, I'm spent. I'm exhausted. The deepest, very part of me is being drained. My soul is fainting. It's failing. And notice verse 83, he says, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. You might remember from our study in Mark chapter, or I think it's Mark chapter 2, or I think it's Mark chapter 2, where Jesus is talking about the bottles of wine and they're, they're dried up. Uh, and really, we, we were talking there how the bottle is actually a better, a better way to translate is just skins of leather, which would hold and contain uh, liquid, water, wine, whatever they were putting in them. And here, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's like a wineskin that has been dried up in the smoke. That has been made to be very brittle. There's no moisture. There's no liveliness. There's no water. He is saying my soul is parched. I am become like a dried up skin in the smoke. He is hope you can really say has shriveled. It's been whittled down by his circumstances. By his situation. You can just feel the intensity of David's heart here. You can feel it. You can sense it. You can actually feel it palpably. Notice verse 84, where he even just cries out, How many are the days of my servant? He's really just saying, How long is this going to last? <laughs> How long? We, we've, you can see that question throughout the Psalms. If you remember a couple of Sundays ago, we preached through Psalm 13. And David asked that uh, several times in the first couple verses of Psalm 13. How long, God? How long are you going to let this last? How long are the days of thy servant to suffer? How long are you going to allow this to keep happening? And he says he's almost at the edge of himself. Look at verse 87. He says, they had almost consumed me upon the earth. His hope is on the verge of being consumed, of being devoured, being completely uh, eradicated from his heart and life. They had almost consumed it. They had almost devoured it. And I love verse 82. I love it in a way because I felt this too. Verse 82 where he says, mine eyes fail for thy word fail there is really this it's the same hebrew word as faint or consume from verse 81 and verse 87 
It's the same Hebrew word. And so you can really say his eyes are being consumed by all that's around him. The hope that I had in my eyes is being consumed by all that I see around me. I can't get over the fact that I'm longing for your promises, God. And when will you comfort me in them? Because my hope is being consumed. The things that I see aren't matching up with what your word says. (laughs) The things that I'm seeing in front of me and around me, the things that I'm enduring, they're not matching up with the hope that I know I should have in your word, in your scriptures. They're being consumed by his circumstances. And such is why he's crying for comfort. When will you comfort me? I think about uh, that prayer. And just, uh, how often have you prayed that way? God, when will you comfort me? My circumstances don't line up, I think, with what you promised. Or how often have you felt these ways? That you're almost fainting, that you're almost failing, that you're almost faltering. I think it's really easy to feel like David feels. I don't think that this is just a unique uh, expression of David, that his soul is fainting. I think this is something that we all feel many times throughout life. Especially if you watch the headline news. I think that we can feel exactly like David here, where he says, My eyes are failing for your word, for the hope that I know that is in your word. Why? Because my eyes are seeing that something that's opposite of what your word says. I have to be honest, I don't really watch the news that much. I, I will read some things so I can stay somewhat <laughs> astute with what's going on. Uh, but I don't spend my time watching Fox News or CSNBC or whatever. Uh, just because I don't feel like I can put myself through that heartache. <laughs> but every story that you see on those news broadcasts, it's riddled with violence and hatred with murders and divorce and adultery and scandals and greeds and thefts and, and racism. It's just continuous things that are confronting you that could make your soul faint. Every, every broadcast, I think, brings with it more of that, what Jesus talks about. I think it's in Matthew 24 or 26 where he talks about we hear of wars and rumors of wars. These things that we uh, are not really sure that are going on, but they're there. And Jesus speaks about them. Scandals and tragedies, they're constantly being pushed on us. I think if we're not uh, returning and resorting to what David resorts to here in this stanza, we could, like David, uh, have to say, our soul is being uh, consumed. My hope is, is fainting because all of the darkness of our day is consuming it. It's, it seems oftentimes that it's overtaking it. And we can, we can cry out just like David here that he's fainting for this hope. Verse 81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. I know that you have promised it, God, but I'm, I'm fainting for it because I can't see it. I can't feel it. Just like it says in Romans 8.22 where it talks about the whole creation, all of creation is groaning for the day when it too will be made right. When we know that all of redemption will become uh, in full It'll come complete. 
The day when there will be no more crying, there will be no more violence, there will be no more grief. Creation feels the, the, the groaning and the fainting for that day too. And I think sometimes, especially if you're watching the news or reading blog articles or whatever, it can sometimes feel as if that day might never come. Because if you just have, if all of what you know is happening in the world is being driven to you by what the media says to you, it, come, it might actually sometimes feel like there's not really much to hope in. There's not much that's being done that's good, and it might be hard to see what actually God is doing. But I love that David expresses the same sort of feelings, and yet what does he do? He hopes nonetheless. Look at verse 81. He says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. It's being spent. It's drained of all hope in this salvation. But what does he say? But I hope in thy word. Verse 83, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet I do not forget thy statutes. He was being drained, and yet what did he do? He said, but I know. I cannot forget your word. Your word is all that I have. I love the books, The Lord of the Rings, written by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, of course, many, many ages ago. I think he wrote them in the 1960s, I believe. Um, but of course, if you're not familiar with the, the Lord of the Rings, it's just a sort of folk fairy tale that Tolkien actually wrote to sort of be a, a sort of pseudo-mythology for uh, England. He, he was frustrated at the fact that, that uh, England didn't really have a mythology like, like the Norse uh, countries. They didn't have a, a rich history of like Vikings and such. Not. So he wrote one, which is essentially what became the Lord of the Rings. And I love the trilogy of books. Uh, they are uh, really, really good reads, and there's a lot to uh, gather from them. But there's this awesome scene that I love and I go back to that's actually kind of I think about when I think about this stanza. So in, in the third book of the trilogy, it's called The Return of the King. And I won't, I'll spare you the really gritty details, but essentially what's going on, there's a big battle about to happen between the really, really bad guy and the good guys. And it's on the, there's a, a conversation that happens, but on the eve, it's the, it's the evening before this great battle is, is, is scheduled to happen. And we have this character, his name is Gandalf, and he's talking to one of his comrades. His name is Pippin. And he says, Pippin is talking to Gandalf. And he says, tell me, is there any hope? He's asking him in this moment because it feels as if the good guys are going to lose. They have been stranded in this uh, corner of where their castle is. And it appears that this, this army that's coming onto them is going to overwhelm them and consume them. And he says, is there any hope? It says, Gandalf put his hand on Pippin's head. <laughs> there never was much hope, he says. Just a fool's hope. Now, that might be odd to you for uh, a hero and Gandalf to admit to one of his uh, compatriots on the eve of an incredible battle, an incredible moment in their time. And he says, there's not really much hope, just a fool's hope. But if, you've, if you stay through and, you, and that moment is actually the punchline of an inside joke that has been happening throughout the trilogy of books. 
because Gandalf has been constantly referring to Pippin as a fool of a Took. His, took is his last name. He's saying you're doing f- foolish things at, all throughout the book. You're a fool. And he says here, you have a fool's hope. <laughs> the inside joke is there's still hope. There is still a glimmer of hope. It's a fool's hope, but it's there. It's a foolish hope, but you are that fool to continue hoping. You have that sort of mindset. It's a wink and a nod from our hero Gandalf that there's, there's still hope left. And I think that's similar to what David is praying here. He's continuing to hope albeit foolishly because of his circumstances. Anyone in their right mind would tell David, yeah, it's, it's no good to keep on hoping. But he does. He says, but I hope in thy word. I'm failing, I'm fainting, I'm falling, but I hope. This foolish hope of David will be proven true. And against all evidence to the contrary, we too are made to hope. Not in what we see, but in what God has said. This is the wonderful thing about being a a person who believes in the gospel. We don't have to hope in the evidences that we see around us. We hope in what God says is true. Because that's what we know will last. Our circumstances Tell us one thing, but uh, Christ has declared something else. He's declared something far better for us. Even if we cannot see it, even if we cannot perceive it in our current moment, we can hope. Why? Because we trust not in what's around us, but in what God says to us, says about himself, says about us. Charles Bridges, the great commentator on this chapter, he says, we depend not on what we see or feel, but on what the word promises. That's what David was exemplifying here. It's so dangerous to base your faith in your feelings. Why? Because they're fickle. They are frail. They will faint. They will change. Your hope is not in your feelings It's in the word of God. That doesn't fade away. That doesn't change. That is not uh, changed or altered by whatever we see around us. We're going to talk about this in the next hour. But regardless of what happens in this country in the next 10, 20, 50 years, that has no bearing on whether God's word will come true. His advancement of his kingdom is going to happen regardless of what happens. (laughs) Because he's promised that it will. So it can look really bad. But we can continue hoping. Why? Because we have the word of God. And the word of God tells us what is going to happen. Not all the events and the details, but it says, uh, you, you know this, that Jesus will be victorious. And that's why the message of the Christian faith, the message of Christian hope, it can sound cliche. You know, I'm, I'm hoping in God that hoping everything will turn out right. And a lot of people have kind of usurped that word hope to sort of mean like a wish or a feeling or something like that. But the Christian hope is no such thing. The Christian hope is concrete. It's settled. It's sure. So when you read the words that you're, you have the God of hope, 
It's not a God of wish fulfillment. It's a God of concrete hope that's settled in what he has said. Our hope is derived by the word of God, which is real and true. And it gives us a real and true hope. Notice that's exactly what David turns through all throughout the stanza. Notice again, verse 81. He felt spent, but he says, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Verse 83, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet I do not forget thy statutes. Verse 86, all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully, help thou me. They'd almost consumed me. I had almost given up on the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Every single turn, David is relaying to us and he's testifying to the fact that yes, he was feeling spent. He was fainting, but what did he turn to? Not himself, not his circumstances. He returned again to the word of God, to the scriptures. And I think that's because, I think David knew very pointedly that his endurance in life was limited. It was confined by his finality. He knew that he wasn't one who had all the strength in the world. He wasn't omnipotent. He wasn't able to uh, be able to sustain himself through life's seasons. But God was. God's endurance is not limited. God's word is not such that has an end. It is eternal and its promises are forever and sure. Such is why he says, quicken me after thy loving kindness. Quicken, of course, is a word that appears all throughout the Psalms. And in fact, it occurs 16 times alone in Psalm 119. Sixteen times he prays, quicken me, make me alive, preserve me, sustain me. He says here, sustain me after your loving kindness, after your mercy. You can see here that it's not just like a one-time thing that David is praying. God, make me alive. And then all of a sudden, he's alive. His faith is energized and he has the vitality that he needs to keep living his life. It's a constant prayer. 16 times alone he prays it in this psalm. And I'm sure he prayed it throughout his life. God, I need to be made alive again in your mercy. I need to have the energy and the strength of your word. Not to myself, not my own. He felt the decay of his own individual strength. And this was what he was being confronted with. And I think that's the method of God's working in our life. How does he grow our faith? He makes us to realize that our strength is limited. And it's actually quite, weak, quite the opposite. It's quite uh, what we might, would say is weakness. It's the pattern of God throughout our lives. is to show us our utter inability and his uh, ever increasing ability to do the impossible. He shows us our uh, utter inability, inability to, uh, to persist in this life apart from him. He shreds us of our ability to control the outcomes. Someone was just mentioning the other day that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> if, you, if you really want to uh, make God smirk, tell him, here's my five-year plan for my life. 
And what is he going to do? He's probably going to shred whatever sense of control you think you have over your life. He shrinks our options of things to hope in. Why? So that we hope in him alone. The God of all hope. That's his design. That's his design throughout uh, our lives. Throughout seasons like David, I'm sure, felt. I'm reminded, I think the most uh, prescient example of this is uh, Gideon from Judges 6 and 7. We think of Gideon as this mighty, valiant warrior of God. (laughs) If you read those chapters, he doubted God constantly. He doubted God over and over again, praying for signs, praying for an assurance of what God had told him would come true. And in fact, what God tells him in Judges 6 is that you are going to wipe out your enemies as if they were one man. You're given that type of complete promise of victory. And what does he do? He fleeces God with the fleece and he goes out and he prays for more signs every single time he's praying for assurance and so what does God do he gives him boundless assurance not in in giving him some sign although he does give him a sign what does he do he dwindles his army even more the opposite of what we think God would do. Okay, you need to give uh, Gideon a lot more assurance of victory by giving him some sort of, uh, okay, he's going to give him uh, some tanks and machine guns. Okay, now he can be assured that he's going to win. No, what are they going to battle with? Trumpets and lanterns. <laughs> and an army that had once been 30,000, now they go into it with 300. Every step of the way, Gideon's hope is shrinking <laughs> In his outward circumstances, in his outward things that he can see. Why? It's so that he would hope in his Lord alone. This is God's pattern. Charles Bridges, again, he writes, Our best prosperity, therefore, is to leave our case in God's hands, looking upward in the simplicity of wretchedness for his help. This is God's pattern. He makes us see our weakness, our wretchedness, and so that we might look upward and hope in him alone. Not in the things that are around us. Not, uh, as David is saying, mine eyes are failing for all the things that are surrounding me. The best exercise of our faith is to leave our life in the hands of the one who breathed into it from the very beginning in the first place. To leave our lives in the hands of the one who knows all the ends from the beginnings. Who orchestrated all the events of all of our lives. I think this is what faith is. Psalm 46.10. Famous verse you might know. I'm going to read it to you because I think this is the psalm of David's life. It's the psalm of the Christian life. Where David himself writes. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Christian faith, I think, is this. It's a a learned art throughout your lifetime of being still and knowing that God is God and we are not. Let me, let me read you, I'll read you this verse really quick. It comes from Ecclesiastes, and then we're, we're almost done. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2 says this. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Such an elementary thing that Solomon writes there, right? 
God's in heaven and you are on earth. Even my little uh, two-year-old Lydia, she knows that. We'll ask her, Lydia, where's God? And what does she say? God is up. <laughs> she knows God's up. God is in heaven and we are on earth. God is God. We are not God. Therefore, what's our best exercise of faith? To be still, knowing that God is God. Not trying to uh, try and control things and fret over things of which we have no ability to control or change. We don't have to fret over the future. Why? Because we haven't been ordered to change the future. We've been ordered to be faithful in the moment. And hope in the God who has all things in the future already planned, already ordered, already orchestrated for us. This is what the gospel allows us to do. It allows us to be still and know that God is God and we are not. And in his words, words which will never fade, which will never be spent, which unlike David, which will never faint, we can be made to hope. Hope in that assurance. Yes, even when we feel parched, when we feel defeated, like David, when we feel like we are about to be consumed. If you read a lot of those news websites, it can actually appear as if Satan is winning. <laughs> There's so much darkness happening in the world that it almost appears as if darkness is, is getting the upper hand. But I love the promise of Scripture. Let me read you one other verse. Psalm verse 30, or Psalm 30, excuse me, in verse 5. What a joyful verse in the midst of darkness. Psalm 35 says this, For his anger, God's anger endureth but for a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Right now, like David, the middle point of this psalm may be his midnight. But joy is coming. Joy is coming in the morning. Like uh, this psalm here, Psalm 119, David is being made to hope because he knows, yes, the sun is going to rise. Darkness won't always persist. The night can only last for so many hours. And his God is sovereign over it all. That's what he can hope in. That's what he can make him persist. Yes, his eyes may be failing, but his soul is hoping in what? God's word alone. One writer said it this way. There never was a night so long that the day did not overtake it. There never was a morning without its morning star. There never was a day without its sun. It might appear that Satan's winning, but guess what? We know the ends. What's the end of Scripture? Jesus wins. <laughs> we know the end. Jesus wins. He's the ruler and the reigner of all the universe, and he's going to come back one day on that white horse, as it says, as a valiant, mighty warrior. And in him we can hope. Because we know that he's going to win. And we are being made to share in his victory. His victory, which is already assured. Just like Gideon was told. Just like David was told throughout his life. That his victory, his hope is sure and secure. Not in himself, but in his God. Who is the God of hope. 
We can hope because we know that. That Jesus wins. That joy is coming. Your morning of joy may not be soon. It may be in eternity. Or it may be soon. For all of us, it might be a little bit different. But it's joy nonetheless. It's joy in the eternity of God's word. It's hope in the longevity and the endurance and the eternality of God's word. And it may appear dark, but there is joy coming. Charles Bridges, that great commentator, I love how he says this. Do not be discouraged by present appearances. The sunshine is behind the cloud. There may be a cloud that's hanging over you, a cloud of doubt, of worry, of anxiety, of of feeling as if you're about to be uh, uh, consumed, as if you're about to faint. But don't let that consume you. Hope, knowing that there is a sun behind the clouds. And this sun is the king of all the universe, the Lord of all creation. Let us pray.